Well, it's been one of those weeks for me as well. I, uh, we got, we had the rod mockers in our home from Sunday, Saturday until Thursday. And then Friday I had to get the family ready for a trip back east. Kevin's a bachelor this week, by the way, so he's looking for free meals. In any case, uh, they're headed back to uh, the east to uh, spend some time with Carolyn's sister as well as to help Craig possibly move into his apartment and get him settled for a new year. So we were just frantic trying to get everything done. And I know that others in this church have been facing the same thing. As I mentioned, we've got a lot of people I know that are away. And uh, it always takes time when you go away to get ready to go away. And it takes time when you come back to catch up with all that you missed. And so, in any case, I'm not trying to excuse anything because what I have to share with you this morning is something that's coming from my heart deeply. And it's not something that I prepared in a flash. I've been working on this message for some time. And I wasn't quite sure when to deliver this message to you. But I think that what I want to share with you this morning... Uh, I want to get out to all of the congregation, and so we're going to make sure that everybody that isn't here gets a copy of the message. So again, you need to make sure you fill out a card and let us know if you were here so we don't send you a copy of the message you've already heard unless you would like a copy. And um, I just wanted to uh, mention, if you didn't put the card in the offering basket when it's passed, if you're a guest or a regular attender, would you just leave those cards on the pew and then we'll collect them right after the service. Don't walk off with them in your Bible. Just leave them right there on the pew, and we'll see them that way. They'll stand out, and we can uh, collect them. And I'd like the ushers to do that right after church. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, what I want to share with your people this morning, what I believe you put on my heart, is not easy, and yet, Lord, it's important part of what we need to hear as a church, and therefore I ask for your spirit to help me and encourage me and encourage our people, and may this come forth from within my heart, and may it be received by all of us in the heart, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I would like to begin this morning by asking you to ask yourself a question, and that is, describe what to you would be an ideal church. Now think about that just a second. If God were to lead you to an ideal church, what would it look like? Most of us at some point have been out church shopping. I haven't been, but some have. And uh, and have come here or have gone other places. What is it that we look for? What is an ideal church? Would it be a big... A church with teeming throngs of people? Or would it be a medium-sized church which would be still able to offer a full range of ministry choices? Or would it be a small family-style church? And what about worship? What kind of worship would it have? Would it have traditional in your ideal church? Or would it be contemporary? Or would you like blended And what about the sermons? What kind of sermon would you find in your ideal church? Would they be uh, more of of a topical type of sermon in which the preacher 
is persuading people or speaking on a relevant subject that is examined in the light of the scriptures? Or would they be expository messages in which the emphasis is on working through a portion of scripture and explaining and applying one passage at a time as you go through portions of scripture? Or would they be evangelistic preaching in which you persuading non-believers to become Christians? Or would it be a blending of all these things in your ideal church? And what about the kind of services that they offer in terms of worship services and meeting services? Would your ideal church have services, many, many services over the course of a weekend, or would they have just one service where all the family met together? Would your ideal church have Wednesday night services and uh, Sunday night services, or, or would there be midweek Bible studies and opportunities for people to get together in small groups? And what about programs and ministries? What kind of programs and ministries would your ideal church have? Would they have a Sunday school? Would they have a junior church program? Or would children sit with their parents in church? What else would they have? Would they have small group ministries? Would they have Awana? Would they have BBS? Would they have adult Bible studies? Would they have a well-developed music program? A thriving singles ministry? Perhaps would it be a, a church that provided ministries for those who are codependent and in need of support and special attention? And how would your church be organized, your ideal church? Would it be a congregationally driven church? An elder-driven church or a church driven by pastor and staff? Or a mixture of all three? Would it have a deacon board or ministry teams? Would it be denominational or non-denominational? What would be your ideal church? Now, these are very interesting and debatable questions in our personal search for an ideal church. But in the end, what is most important is what God would consider to be an ideal church. If we were to search the Bible for what it says about the, the church itself, one thing would immediately grab our attention, and that is that some of the things that often define an ideal church for us are not even mentioned in the Bible. Other things that are mentioned in the Bible are not broad enough to define an ideal church in God's estimation. So what is a, an ideal church in God's estimation? In God's estimation, there is one overreaching quality that defines an ideal church. Regardless of how you line up everything else in terms of your preferences, there's one thing that God is concerned about when it comes to an ideal church, and that can be summarized in one word, truth. Truth. That is, everything being done and said in church should be declaring the truth of God and the truth about God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, in a standalone statement, described the ideal church to a young pastoral student named Timothy. And this is what he writes. 
But if I am delayed in coming to you, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In God's estimation, the ideal church holds up the truth in a world groping in darkness. In an ideal church provides a foundation of truth upon which believers in Jesus Christ can build their lives. Truth supported and poured out not only by what a church teaches, but by what a church does and says in everything from the way the people look on their face when they walk out of church. In an effort to keep before us what our Lord says about His church here in 1 Timothy 3.15, we have incorporated into our Constitution a purpose statement of the church which reflects the teaching of 1 Timothy 3.15. I'd just like to read it to you and then it builds on some other scriptures as well. The purpose of Coast Bible Church is to be a pillar and ground of the truth that every person might be presented perfect that is fully developed in Christ Jesus. In light of this, we seek to uphold the truth before men and women that they might see and believe it, receiving God's gift of eternal life. If they are believers, that they might be renewed in their minds and transformed in their character and life. In a world of constant change and uncertainty, we seek to be a foundation of the truth, putting the truth under the feet of God's people. Only by the solid foundation of His truth can we fully develop into all God wants us to be. And lastly, we desire to speak and live the truth in love, that we may grow up in every way into Him who is the head of the church, Christ Jesus. The end result of an ideal church being a pillar and ground of the truth is that people become disciples of Jesus Christ with a view to fully developing into believers who are just like their Master and Lord Christ Jesus. Now just what was it that uniquely define and set apart Messiah Jesus from all other men, including men like Moses. John summarized it in these words, and you will reflect back on this from our studies previously. He was full of grace and truth. That's what set Jesus apart from everyone. He was full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Therefore, at Coast Bible Church, we have made it our mission to develop lives full of grace and truth just like the life of our Savior, Jesus. We've captured this mission 
with the now familiar slogan, developing lives full of grace and truth. But here's the question that I really want to focus on today. We've talked about our purpose. We've talked about our mission. But what does being full of grace and truth look like in the everyday nitty-gritty of life? Especially life in a local church like Coast Bible Church. Can we put a face to this cerebral idea of developing lives full of grace and truth? I like that expression. Obviously, it's biblical. Obviously, it's Christocentric. That means centered upon the Savior, upon Jesus Christ. But just what does it conjure up in our thoughts? What are we thinking about when we hear that word or that phrase? What does being full of grace and truth look like? We might begin by asking the question, what would a church look like if the people in the church were full of grace and truth? Read your New Testament and then try to envision a church where the people were full of grace and truth. What do you see? You read your New Testament, you get out your Bible, you go through all the passages that talk about the church. And then you're envisioning the church being full of grace and truth. What do you see? A good place to begin would be the numerous expressions that you can look up in a concordance or in your computer under the phrase, one another. It's the Bible's way of talking about relationships. And a good place to begin in terms of understanding what a church looks like that's full of grace and truth is in the relationships of the people, in the one another relationships that we have. And these expressions are found throughout the New Testament. Putting those expressions together in a personal way, we would conclude that a church that is full of grace and truth would be a church where these things are present. And you have a sheet that was passed out to you, which is somewhat familiar because I think I passed this sheet out before, but I've made a few changes on it. But basically, it gives you the scriptural content about what I'm going to share. Again, putting these expressions together in a personal way, we would conclude that a church that is full of grace and truth would be a church where we love one another as Jesus loves us, where we forgive one another as he has forgiven us, where we receive and bear with one another in love just as he has received us, not continually judging one another or speaking evil of one another, where we care for and serve one another like members of Christ's body, which we are. It would be a church where we use our spiritual gifts not for our own edification, but to minister to one another. It would be a church where we reach out to one another and are hospitable to one another, where we freely acknowledge our sin and failure, where we pray for one another, where we exhort and admonish one another in truth, that we might be of the same mind toward one another, not lying to one another. It would be a church where we kindly affectionate to one another, comforting one another, 
honoring one another, not provoking one another or envying one another. It'll be a church where we submit to one another in the fear of God, not grumbling against one another. It'll be a church where we have compassion for one another, love as brothers and sisters, being tender-hearted and courteous. This is what I believe our church would look like if it indeed were developing lives full of grace and truth. I often hear the question asked, what is my vision for our church? And I've been frequently reminded of the scripture where it says in the Old Testament that without a vision, the people perish. Interestingly enough, the vision spoken of in that Old Testament passage is the vision of a prophet who brings the word of God to the people. And that's how they receive their word from God is through visions, and then they would transfer that to the people. The point being, if the people do not have a word from God through the prophet, they will perish. That is why what I have just spoken to you is in quotes, because it is taken verbatim from standalone statements in the Word of God. I believe taken together, these one another statements express very well our Lord's vision for His church. A church that is full of grace and truth, and therefore it should be our vision as well. Many of us, and I'm including myself, would love to see more people sitting on these pews, worshiping God Sunday after Sunday, hearing His Word explained and applied to their lives. But God is far more interested in seeking, in our seeking, to realize His vision for our church. The Bible teaches that we are to leave the numbers to God who has always made it his business to add to his church as he pleases. It's not something that we can manufacture through the Holy Spirit. I fear today that we have fallen into that trap and we've learned how to manipulate people. But we are not necessarily doing what God has called us to do. Therefore, my vision for our church does not involve dreaming about numbers as much as I would like to see our numbers increase. What my vision for our church has got me to dreaming about is something else. Dr. Martin Luther King gave what is perhaps the most well-known vision speech of our time. You recall the message with a powerful voice. He said, I have a dream today. I have a dream that my four little daughters, my four little children, will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. And with that dream, he changed a nation. I have a dream today. And I have a dream that I believe can change this church. I have a dream that one day those of us who make up this church will be quick to forgive and fully restore those who have personally hurt us. I have a dream that one day those of us who make up this church will be filled with humility and willing to acknowledge our sin 
and failure. Quick to admit that we were wrong. Always willing to put others before ourselves. I have a dream today that one day we will look for opportunities to say to one another in a specific way, thank you for a job well done. To speak by our words and our actions words of encouragement to a Bible study leader who has opened our eyes to the Word of God or our children's Sunday school teacher who has taught them about our eternal Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. To an Awana worker who has helped them memorize Scripture. To a worship director who has led us in worship. To an elder or church leader who has worked hard and without much thanks to lead our church toward the ideals of our Lord. I have a dream today that one day we will see all who make up this church body looking forward to spending two hours and seven dollars to fill out a spiritual gifts inventory because we truly care about using our spiritual gifts to meet the needs of this body. That our Lord might fully use this church to reach the world about us with the transforming truth of His grace. I have a dream that every one of us will be working hard to serve one another through the use of our spiritual gifts. And that those with a gift of faith will step forth to share their confidence in a God who majors on doing the impossible. That those with a gift of leadership will step out and lead. That those with a gift of helps will be ready to volunteer even before they're asked. I have a dream today that those who serve in positions of leadership will truly value the opportunity and serve without grumbling, knowing that the God whom they serve is not unjust to forget their work and labor of love which they have shown toward His name. I have a dream that the day will come when we will not judge each other on the basis of all how we compare to us or our ideals, but on the basis of their God-given capacity to become all He wants them to be. I have a dream today that one day we will be more inclined to find kind, affectionate, comforting things to say about each other rather than speaking with the intent of provoking those around us and bringing them down before others. I have a dream that one day we will be quick to give benefit of the doubt rather than looking with suspicion for evil motives and flawed character. I have a dream today that one day all of us will honor those who have purposed to minister to us in worship, in Sunday school, in Bible study, in Awana, and in any ministry by consistent attendance, by being on time to those events or those services or those activities. And by, and I'm putting this in a figurative sense, sitting in the front row of everything we're a part of because we're anxious to hear what's being spoken or what's being shared or who's being who's, who's opening the Word of God for us. I have a dream about these words from the Bible that they will never be true of us. And these are the words, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I have a dream that will never those words will never be true of this church. I have a dream today that all of us 
We'll look for the opportunities to open our half-million-dollar-plus homes along with our very private lives to those sitting next to us in the pew this morning or at some other morning in church whose name continually eludes us Sunday after Sunday. I have a dream today that will that our church will come to a point where we will not be embarrassed about the size of the church or our commitment to the truth of God's Word, but will gladly invite friends and relatives to come to church with us and then to engage them in enthusiastic discussion about our Lord, His church, and what He stands, what it stands for and what He's doing through His church. I have a dream today that no guest will ever enter this church building on a Sunday morning or take part in any church activity without several of us stepping out and taking it upon ourselves to truly get to know this person by asking perceptive questions, questions that reveal a genuine interest in their life and listening carefully to what they say. I have a dream today that everyone will care enough about the church to read the bulletin, especially those sections regarding requests for prayer and the missionary focus of the week and to faithfully pray for these people during the week. I have a dream today that when someone in our fellowship is sick and hurting in some way and it comes to our attention, or they ask us to pray for them, that we will, that we will truly pray for them and not just say that we will. I have a dream today that we will be developing enough skill in handling the Word of God, all of us, not just the pastor, but all of us, that we can really exhort and admonish one another according to the truth of God's Word, not according to our internalized feelings that are born out of pride or mistaken ideals. I have a dream today of a church that is known not for its nonsense, its no-nonsense pulpit ministry, or its independent spirit, or its beautiful buildings, but for the content of its character, for its compassion toward the hurting, for its commitment to brotherly and sisterly love, for its tender-heartedness, for the spiritually needy, and its courteous demeanor. I have a dream today that this church will be known as a fellowship where people relate to one another in grace and truth just like our Lord Jesus Christ. I have a dream today that the pastor of this church who has often failed his Lord will humbly strive to practice what he preaches, showing the face of grace under the pillar of truth. Our Father, I pray that you would take these words, human words that or an attempt to express a divine heart and divine revelation and use them in a special way in our lives as a church. Father, we want this church to be all that you want it to be. Nothing less, nothing more. Father, help us, each of us, to do our part to make it the church that you want it to be. And we pray for your blessing upon us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.